Welcome to Game Changing Leadership. In this podcast, we will highlight interesting profiles and hear their thoughts and experiences of game changers. What do they do differently and what can we learn from them? My name is Marlene Greva and with me I have my co-host Siri Bushum. In this episode, we face a sort of chicken or egg dilemma. Does performance culture create game changers or do game changers pioneer and sustain performance culture? To help us understand more about performance culture, Siri and I are joined by Kristin Skogenlund, CEO of Shipstead, and Susanne Petersen, Tutta, one of the world's best golfers. Warm welcome to this podcast. Tutta, today you're a retired golfer and you are exploring business opportunities. How does this learning, this key learning that you have, how does that come to play in today's Tutta? You know, back in the day, I was probably uh, quite naive. If I believed something, I would buy it uh, all the way. Uh, because that, if my gut feel said this is the right thing, I was uh, uh, curious enough to kind of explore it all the way. But what I learned from this is, and I would be naive to trust anybody that would kind of, if I felt like that would help me become a better golfer. Now, I don't take trust for, uh, as a given in a relationship and I very often second guess uh, stuff that comes uh, along the way um, and so that's kind of uh, I don't know if that's a good thing but at least I I don't uh, swallow everything as easy as I used to do uh, sometimes I would have to go a few more rounds with myself maybe discuss it with the third part um, open it up for more information um do um, do a better due diligence uh, to say it that way just to make sure that you're doing the right thing so christian you have um in your former experience you've been in telenor you've been in coca-cola and who mm -hmm. and now you're in shipstead do you find do you see any similarities in high performing culture that you have experienced so I think it's about, you know, being very open, being very curious, always question things. Um, um, it has to do with how you communicate, uh, who you, who and how you reward actions. Um, I, for example, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I, the day I lose my curiosity, I'll have to resign because, you know, you need to constantly question things, never think you have the answer, never think you know best. Always, you know, encourage people to 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 challenge you and the status quo. That's really really important. And 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 if you want to succeed with that, you also need to promote a certain amount of diversity. And by that, I do not only mean, you know, gender and and color of skin and things like that. But you need to be surrounded by people who re who really think differently than you do yourself. And that can be challenging and and uh, and irritating too sometimes. But 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 you really need to have the discipline to always seek. Uh, the challenge. But I think that's interesting, Susanna. Would that be the same for you? Like not to trust, like I, I wouldn't, you know, not that you're saying you don't trust uh, yourself, but like the, the fact that you need a lot of input. But you know what, listening to what Christian says is like literally my own philosophy of how I work for 20 years. Uh, I think it's all about team effort. Uh, and within the team, I think it's very important that everyone stands equal. No one's better than another part. Uh, and every 
every opponent is as important to see succeed as as a team or to achieve the goal. Um, um, and um, I've always been curious to learn more. I've, I feel like being humble is a very uh, important element. Um, and it's like Kristen said, don't ever think that you know enough because you can always get better. Um, you can always kind of... For me, it was about building my own library. That's how I looked at it. So sometimes I could read books and I could kind of maybe pick up one or two things through a book. But then I also... One of the things I did a lot, I always went to my um, biggest uh, competitor and I said, how, how do you, how, what makes you so good at this? Uh, I was never afraid um, of losing face to ask questions uh, to potentially uh, get better myself, but uh, I was fortunate enough to um, practice and be around Tiger Woods a lot. Um, and um, I remember my first meeting with him. I said, if this is going to be the only time I get to meet him and talk to him face to face, I mean, I'm definitely going to ask all the questions I've always wanted to ask. And if he's just going to hate me forever, uh, so be it. But this, if this is my only opportunity, uh, I'm going to grab it. And... Uh, I probably had over a hundred questions, curious about how he worked, uh, how he made things uh, happen. Um, Which advice was the best? Uh, I was always curious how he was always so sharp um, in tournament uh, situations because practice is one thing and then competing is a little different. But uh, after the day was over, he came to me and said, so when are we starting off tomorrow? So... Sometimes also the best players in the field, they really appreciate people coming up to them and asking questions because it's also like therapy for them to kind of go through their own head of uh, how they're thinking. And sometimes it makes them more aware. So um, I always feel like within the team, uh, there's obviously one who kind of needs to step step it up and kind of take uh, charge. And in my in my team, that was me who was on the golf course performing, but I was always relying on all the opponents um, being there supporting it. And um, when you achieve great uh, stuff, it's more, uh, for me, it was more a confirmation that the process that we're doing as a team is the right thing. And within the team, uh, it's very important that it's room enough for discussions. And I've never been a fan of having yes people on your side. Um, you need to have uh, um, questions asked, maybe the questions you don't want to face, but the questions that you need to kind of go through to kind of get um, to move further on. Um, uh, but uh, within the team, for me, it was always very much equal respect. I think uh, I'm not the only one who's wondering what's going on in in that head of yours when you are in Solheim Cup and you have that last pot. You have the whole world looking at you. How do you zoom out the entire world and what, nine million people watching you? Well, from the outside, I might look as calm as uh, anything, but on the inside, I have to admit I was... Uh, you have a lot of adrenaline. I was nervous. I remember... Uh, 
just minutes before the final part, uh, I remember telling myself, you're getting too old for this. Uh, I'm getting way too much gray hair to kind of go through this over and over because you have to dig so deep to kind of find the, the very, very best um, for the right moment. Uh, but at the same time, I, I was just embracing the situation. I mean, this is what every athlete or everyone dreams of, kind of to to get the 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 game changing moments to kind of be able to make a difference. And uh, I've always loved those situations, and uh, this was just another one uh, that kind of just fell into my lap. And I just remember saying, just make the most of it. And um, from then on, you just have to trust that your preparations, your routines um, uh, are good How much enough. would you say are the preparations? And how much is down to those seconds of final delivery? I mean, in practice, I've gone over this situation a million times. Ever since I was a kid, I've always uh, picturing myself standing on the practice field this shot is to win the US Open. This part is to win the Solheim Cup. Um, and with practice, you get confident. And with confidence, you feel like you can take on the entire world. And uh, that's what preparations is all about. Preparing yourself to take on those situations and never can guess yourself. But Kristin, how is this for you? Because it's a song that can sort of repeat things uh, over and over again, but you meet a lot of different challenges in, in your work. Have you had any similar experiences where everything is dependent on you? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to compare to that final putt in Sulem Cup, and I never had 9 million people watch anything I did. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to compare in that sense. But but uh, yes, I mean, I've had sort of pivotal uh, moments, let's say, for example, uh, I when I was in charge of the uh, what we call the collective bargaining process in back in 2018, it was, uh, you know, a so-called uh, main uh, main bargaining where lots of different issues, including the part of the pension system was at stake. And and it was very, very complex and difficult and and high stake on both sides and if you fail to find a solution the whole country will go into a general strike i mean not just one or two sectors but everything because it's you know it's constructed this way that it's a general bargaining and uh and and then you you know you it, again it's a lot about preparation you need to have you know the whole your whole stakeholder uh, map very clear and uh, know exactly where everyone's sort of uh, limit is and then you need to have your own idea of how far you can go and then you have to have all the tactics in terms of the actual negotiation so it, it's quite complex um, and you you end up always you know sort of on a knife's edge of what's possible. Uh, where it's possible to actually find a solution before, without falling off the cliff on either end. And when do you know, how do you know when you are exactly on that edge, you know? And should you take it one step further? Should you withdraw one step? I mean, you know, and, and that's always a difficult exercise. But what is it that you don't do? Well, you don't get nervous. You don't get uh, <laughs> upset. Easy. You need to be super cold, super calm. And you need to trust your preparations. You know, you should never at that last moment start saying, oh, no, no, I better withdraw or no, I think we can get this. Or, you know, you have to stay, you know, stay to the plan and and, and trust uh, trust those. I was going to say trust your instincts in a way, but but that 
the preparations combined with the signals that you you get, you know, to put it all together. And I had another one this summer when I went in the final negotiations when Shipstead's um, a subsidiary company, Advinta, bought eBay Classifieds. And that was a deal that was worth $9.2 billion. And that's just so much money. Mm-hmm. And in those final hours of the negotiations and everything over the phone, you know, because they were in the U.S., and I realized that we had to, I ha, you know, if we were going to get it, I had to increase the bid beyond what the board had said okay to. And then you say, do you risk that? Do you do you go that extra round and co- try to convince everyone to do that? Or do you just say, okay, that's it, we lost it. And and I, you know, we did that extra round and it was really worth it. But uh, you could, we couldn't know that, you know, you couldn't know we could have been played or it could have, you know, somehow been uh, punished by the market thinking that you've gone too far mm. and and it's so much money that it's just you know you have just no idea how much that is it's 85 billion kroners it's so much money so you know just one percent up and down is huge you know mm. and 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 you sit there and you just have to trust the plan and your instinct and do it mm. but you have trained on this like tuta you have you have you've done your preparations throughout the years you, you don't suddenly find yourself in that situation you have been into multiple situations such as that and there are some skill sets that well what's i think what's been crucial for me but on both those i could maybe mention a few other things but those two examples is actually psychology because in the in the in the bargaining thing it has to do with understanding and trusting your opponent you know if he if he then he he came in and he told me that you know sort of this was it, and 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 you know, I he could he could have played me, right? But I mean, you need to see through that, trust him, know him well enough to understand when you are on the edge. And the same thing with the with the eBay deal. That was a, a very crucial phone call with the CEO of eBay, uh, where I asked him some very direct questions and and told him exactly how I felt and what it would take to raise this bid. And, and he told me what he thought I, you know, that he thought it would be worth it. And I trusted him because I had sort of built that relationship. And so in both those occasions, that was the final element was the psychology of understanding and being able to trust the other person. Hmm. But I'm thinking like in performance. Um, so for Tutta, it's about sort of uh, 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 getting even better and better and better. But what is it that drives you in in business? Like, is it deals like this? Is that what you've been practicing for your whole mm-hmm. life to make such a big deal? Not really, because they don't happen that often. So I think, you know, it's and and in my life as almost every other's life, it's it's the everyday, you know, it's the everyday running of things and, and constantly making things uh, happen, see opportunities, make people work together and excel at it. And uh, it's I think it's more about all those small moments and and you know and I think I'm very people driven I'm more people driven than than sort of the business things actually so it's it's about those small moments when you see someone succeed if you get an email that someone appreciated something and they might send you an email and oh I heard you say or do that and it really made me do this and then that happened things like that is actually uh, my big pleasure I think I think having you here, we we cannot not ask this question. You you touched upon it when you said what drives you, but what really fires you up? When are you at your best? I think when I get in. Inspired- 
you know, I, I'm, I'm a super extrovert. I get very inspired uh, talking to people being, you know, I talked earlier about the challenges, you know, if someone can challenge or, you know, put me onto a new idea and I suddenly, you know, patterns come together in my head and I see a new opportunity, for example, then I can get supercharged. And I, then I get very executional. I want to just, you know, get it done, go out there and I get very sort of busy getting it going. <laughs> what about uh, what about you, Tuta? What's the trigger points in in your new life? The trigger point is always to uh, test the system. How good can you potentially be? Uh, uh, I've always been a person who's always looked ahead. I've never looked uh, back. Uh, obviously, you look at your failure, uh, and I've never been afraid to fail uh, to take the next step because uh, uh, that's kind of where uh, you learn the most. But at the same time, when your back is up against the fence and all you see is opportunities instead of uh, failure, then that's that's the situation that just keeps driving me. I mean, I named the book uh, No Guts, No Glory. Uh, and it's literally how I've spent my entire life. Um, you have to dare to win. Um, sometimes uh, it might take rounds with failure, but you stand up the next day and you try it again and you try it again until you finally succeed. So experience do counter though. I mean, how do you kind of get to the to that breaking point where you know, kind of know what triggers uh, or what uh, uh, buttons to push uh, in the right moments? And that's all about kind of knowing yourself, um, knowing your kind of potential uh, because you, you come in these uh, breathtaking situations uh, where a lot is on, on the line. Uh, you just have to learn that everyone's going to have adrenaline. Everyone's going to be nervous uh, to embrace it and just take it as another opportunity to, to kind of uh, add to the success. Is, um, that's what it takes. I mean... I have a couple of things that I, I um, I'm, I'm wondering about. Number one is that there's not too many. I don't know if you, Kristen, at the age of 10 said, well, I'm going to be the sort of, uh, apart from being the prime minister of Norway, I don't think you can get much higher than being the chief of N Hall. Mm-hmm. So at 10, you are very vocal about your ambitions. You're saying, OK, I'm going to be, I'm literally going to be the world's best golfer. Simple as that. And then at 15, you set this, you were asked to do a future vision or a philosophy to follow. That's interesting because I hear that you say that you were 15 when you wrote that down. And from that day, you've actually followed that plan. Can you can you tell yeah. us more about what that philosophy was all about? Yeah, I mean, actually, uh, now I'm almost 40 and I look back and I'm thinking... I must have been a lot smarter than I thought when I was at the age of 15, <laughs> kind of being able to foresee what my future would bring. Uh, but I guess a lot of this builds on that I've kind of built my career on. And it's uh, come from myself. I've always uh, loved a challenge. I've always been very competitive. And when we were asked this task to kind of write our own future vision, I took it dead serious and I kind of went all in. So what was that vision? I wrote down my biggest dreams, what I wanted to accomplish, how I wanted to be as an athlete, uh, how I could see all the practice going down, everything that was uh, a part of being a successful golfer. And I don't know. It was both on sort of the delivery side on which cups am I actually going to win? And then what skills do I need to excel at in order to win those? 
yeah, and it was very precise. And the more precise your goals and vision or strategy is, I want to say the easier it is to accomplish it. I think this is a this is an excellent segue to what can we learn from world champion athletes into business, Kristen? Did you have that uh, sort of winning philosophy document uh, written down at the age of 15? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, what's similar is this thing of always sort of being being willing to break the boundaries for what you think is possible and uh, you know think big enough, be ambitious enough. And don't just sort of, you know, I, I always tend to say that you shouldn't just fill your role, you should shape it. And by that, you really need to just break the boundaries of what's expected of you. Because if you always remain within the expectations, mm. you are never going to do something new or unthought of. And the new and, and unthought of is actually what makes progress, right? Mm. But then you need to have a leader that trusts you. Because that, I think we come back to that yeah. trust element. But you know, what's even more important, you need to trust yourself. Mm. That's very interesting. So how do you build that trust within yourself? That, I mean, that took me a long time. Uh, but, you know, part of it is is baggage from home. And I was lucky there to grow up in a family where I was always told I could do things and not the contrary. And you don't control, who, you know, how you grow up. So I, w I was lucky on that one. But then it's about, you know, gaining when you get older, it's about gaining experience and, and you know, you know, mastering more and more. And you see, OK, I, I took a chance there and it actually went quite well. You, you learn that the downside is not that terrible. Most things can't go that wrong. I mean, and if you try, you you often accomplish more than you think you you thought possible. And it's also about surrounding yourself with the right people. You need to be around people who, who um, back to trust, who trust you, but who want to see you succeed mm. and who gives you any people who give you energy, not people who, who drain it. And you need to be super selective in who and, and what you allow to influence your own self-confidence, because that's one of the most precious things you have. Mm. And you need to take very good care of it. In one of the other episodes that we, we talked about diversity. And when you have a diverse team, how do you make sure that everyone has the same ambitions as yourself on behalf of all the projects and, and what you want to achieve with the goal that Chipset has? I mean, the, the most important thing is that people are on board with the overall team ambition. But within that, people can be different. I mean, some people have, you know, have a more, let's say, operational uh, angle. I mean, they want to just be, they want things to be really well executed. Others could be the big imaginary dreamers, you know, who have the big fluffy ideas, but you need both, right? You can't just have the fluffy ones, then you get nowhere because everyone will just be thinking about things and they will never get to do it. So you need, you know, you need different types of ambition within a team, but it, they, you know, we just all need to be aligned on the overall project, but with different roles. But like Tutta, she, she has kind of chosen her team herself. How do you do that? Because when you start at Shipstead, you, 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 there is this management team. Um, and how do you make sure that you build that team to yeah. take care of those sure. um, ambitions? Yeah, I've done results? both. Actually, when I came to Shipstead, they, they, you know, we split out another company, etc. So there, there were actually very few people there. So I got to pretty much build my own, my own team, a couple from the outside and the rest I got to sort of choose a bit from the inside. So, But can you take us through that? that thought process of how do you build that executive team of yours? Yeah, but I was just going to say other other times I have inherited sometimes, you know, great people and sometimes not always the people you would have chosen. So, you know, and you need to deal with that. 
But um, um, no, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you need to, I decided on the structure, I decided that we should divide it into three business areas and that we needed three supporting functions that Shipstead would be sort of a foundation for the business areas with finance, uh, HR, uh, and communication and different things, and then data and technology. So I, I decided we need those three roles and we need the three business area heads. And uh, the first That's month, sort of the technical part of it. Yeah, but you need to understand how, you know, the, the structure of the team before you, you know, and then right. you need to fill it. But then I, I, I spent the month before I started talking to about 50 people one-on-one. And then you get a lot of valuable input, what's needed, uh, what type of, you know, uh, competence, but also what type of culture and personality is needed here, what has worked before, what hasn't worked before. Uh, who, so you go who into your ships that yeah. talking with 50 people to get a notion, a feeling of yeah. what is status quo here yeah. right now? And yeah. what are the right. unpolished gems? I mean, what are the right. people that people refer to? Uh, you know, who who do they have the most, most uh, faith in? And uh, yeah. And what they see lacking. Yeah. What the opportunity space mm -hmm. is. And then it's almost like you have a, a big picture and, you know, the pixels just fill in. And in the end, you see the pattern and you just, yeah, that's it. Mm. But how do you get them um, to perform? Well, most people at, the, at that level are very self-generating. I mean, they have a lot of energy and passion and interest and curiosity and ambition on their own. So that's not always so difficult. And again, so that's a bit about setting this frame, as I said, that mm. create, for example, that psychological safety and that culture of common challenge and stimulation. And then the, their performance within that needs to be their own and it needs to be quite free. Uh, my chief data and technology officer is absolutely brilliant and knows so much more about that area than I do. I mean, I can't help him perform on that. You know, I can set the stage for him, but he's the one dancing on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you make room for them so that yeah. they are also visible out there. Is that what you do as well, um, Tita? How do you, like the ones that are behind you that we never see, like how do you make sure that they are um, engaged and up and running every day and want to do the best for you? I just think it's very important that when you all, it's a starting point and you all sit down in the same room, you kind of go through What's your goals? What's your ambition? Uh, what's everyone's uh, role? And how clear is your strategy? Is everyone on board? Um, does everyone agree on what's needed uh, on the workload that's uh, kind of ahead? And once uh, that message is delivered and fully understood by all parties, I think it's quite an, a fun ride. Uh, but I think the, the challenge is to kind of get everyone on board and believing in the strategy that you kind of uh, uh, set as a target. You, there will be bumps on the, on, on the road. Um, there's never a straight line to the top. But the more clear that strategy is, the easier it is to get back on track if things start to slip out. Uh, but I also think if you're looking at, uh, if you're the CEO or you're the leader of the group, uh, you obviously delegate uh, responsibilities but I also think one of the one of my biggest kind of responsibilities was to always push each person on my team to encourage them. A lot of people live uh, in a very comfortable life. They do the same thing every day. Um, they, they wake up, they go to work at eight, come home at four, they go have dinner, they sit by the TV. Um, life is a very uh, uh, routine. Uh, and to be able to kind of step out of that comfort zone and kind of 
do something a little different. Uh, I think is uh, quite encouraging for the people that are on board. We're going to to start rounding up here, and and with that, we're going to touch upon game changing leadership. When it comes to high performing teams, we've touched upon a, a good few things already. Um, so, as a leader, you have to set a clear mandate. You have to set a clear direction um, to provide people the opportunity to actually thrive and and win uh, on their own terms. That's a sort of truly diverse team and, and being agile, having that agility in the team to know when to move when you have to, even if that diverts from the direction you've already set. But then at the same time, having the focus that you need in order to walk in, in the direction that you have set. And also continuous learning. Like you said, Kristen, when you left NHO, I'm just mastering this whole game now. So I need to leave. I need to find a new sport to succeed in. I need to find a new vertical, a new industry mm -hmm. that I haven't touched upon before so I can stay at the top of my game. Yeah, plus NHL will need new impulses as well. I mean, I think right. you owe it to your organization to let new energy come in. Right. In your entire experience of your working life, what has been game-changing moments for you? Yeah, because one thing we haven't spoken about is purpose. And I think, you know, uh, I think it's really important when you come into a new role to have a purpose with what you want to achieve in that role. And, and you know, and you need to make sure that that's actually what you do. It's very easy to end up doing, every, you know, everything and all, but then in the end you haven't done nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. for example, with the NHO, uh, I came into that role and I felt that the most important thing I wanted to achieve was to lift the uh, recognition of business in Norway. Uh, I wanted, you know, all people, not just business people, I wanted all people to understand better the importance of having companies around that creates jobs and creates value for our society and that that's really the backbone of it all. And then you need to appeal, have a broader appeal. You need to talk about subjects that are a bit wider than maybe traditionally NHO had spoken about. Mm. Um, I decided to form an alliance with the unions instead of, you know, waging a war on the unions and always being in conflict, but rather underline how much in common we have because we all want a good working life for people in Norway. That's what we're all about, both of us, from mm. our different angles. So things like that. And then I, you know, I, I try to always let those things stare how I prioritized and that means that you need to understand that it's a big difference between success what I call success and victory because you have to let some victories go if you want to have success you can't every time you know win a battle or a discussion or an argument or get things exactly your way because success is when you over time find the balanced solutions that works for most people so people are happy and then they stay and are sustainable over time And your best way of actually uh, being able to succeed is other people wanting to see you succeed. And if people feel that they, uh, you know, they are part of that success, mm. you know, it, there will be an easier acceptance for it. So finding those all these points of balance and focusing on the overall purpose of things rather than each individual situation there and then, I think it's what really makes the difference. Moves the needle. Yeah. What in your um, perception, Tuta, is anything happening in sort of in, in the golf uh, world that has been a game changer? I think there's always a constant uh, process of uh, trying to break new barriers. 
sometimes for my own sake uh how i feel like i was more of a game changer within uh, the women's golf is don't ever be afraid to fail to eventually win oh thank you for reminding me because one of the things that you have said that really stuck with me was that if you are playing 25 tournaments you will lose 20 and you win five i don't know anyone in business who are losing at that level time and time again and still wake up next morning thinking i'm going to win this i'm going to break them down i'm going to i'm going to take it all the way how do you do that i mean and and if i could just add on that if you do win 5 out of those 25 you have an incredible season yeah and, and you have <laughs> you have had that <laughs> So, I mean, you learn to lose, but this is about your own uh, process. Uh, sometimes you can... Uh, I have always been a perfectionist by nature. Uh, even if I win, I would always... Uh, I've always been my own biggest criticizer. I would always find angles where I feel like actually I could have done that better. I could have won by six strokes, not four strokes. Uh, that hole was not exactly how I kind of planned it uh i've always been my own criticizer but at the same time i'm not criticizing myself to kind of push me down in the mud i'm criticizing myself to kind of encourage me inspiring me to do better sometimes i've been very vocal with my frustration on the golf course because you get upset because you're quite famous for that <laughs> yeah uh unfortunately uh at the same time it's it's been my kind of um trigger to get even more focused uh it's almost like i'm talking to myself and uh usually i get sharper by being more uh vocal to myself so uh what i'm trying to say is um sometimes you have to risk something to win on the other side and sometimes you, it might take several times before you get there yeah but you need to take us into your head you're dissecting you're dissecting each and every move and you're trying to figure out what can I improve for the next time. I think a lot of us are doing that. That's self-criticism on a smart level. At the say, it could be too much though, right? But how do you handle those losses? I think that the times that we have really lost in our lives, that we have failed, you know, it breaks us. And you're doing it over and over and over again. How do you do that? How do you rewire your brain into... But today I'm going to win. Oh, lost again. Today I'm going to win. How do you do that? It comes from your heart. That's your passion for what you do. Uh, the passion of kind of, you have the dream job. And uh, sometimes uh, you, you get fed up with it. I have to say, there's been a few times where I've thought, I'm just going to quit. There's been a few times. I can probably count on one hand, even less, a few fingers. Uh, how many times I've kind of said that to myself. One time I was in Portland, Oregon. Uh, this is maybe 15 years ago. I probably had a rough spell. Didn't find uh, the results weren't quite as good as I was uh, hoping for. And I called home <laughs> and my dad picked up the phone. And I said, Dad, I'm going to quit. I've had enough. And he said, uh, so what are you going to do then? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I can just work in the grocery shop, whatever. I was just so frustrated and angry. And then he said a very clever um statement that you know what i actually think there's a lot more better qualified people than you <laughs> to sit at the counter at Riyama. and i thought to myself you know what 
maybe I do have the dream job. And then from then on, you wake up the next day and you're as encouraged <laughs> and inspired uh, to move on and break new levels. So uh, sometimes it's also a reality check. But if you love what you do, you don't think about every day as a, a failure or a win. It's like uh, it's a process and it's a never ending process. Um, I mean, I retired after literally 20 years um, of playing competitive golf with the best women in the world. And I still feel like I would have so much to learn. Uh, you never get overaccomplished uh, or um, there's always knowledge that you could pick up or something that you can kind of improve. And um, that was always my inspiration. I recognize the self-criticism. <clears throat> I'm terrible with myself. So how do you rewire your brain when you're, it, it steams off quickly, but I'm super critical. And, you know, if, you know, if the result is 100 and 99 is great, I will focus so badly on that one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> I, I worked uh, um, in the US for three months a couple of years back and, and the sort of the difference there compared to back home was they always asked the question. So Siri, what do you think I could have done better to become even better so rather than ask it it's a little bit how you ask that question and I've kind of learned that so I'm I think a lot of us are critical but I, I try to think there was a lot of things I did good here but what if I did one thing better how could that impact even more than it did strategically very smart because then you're focusing on one smart thing one smart move going forward instead of... Uh, yes, yeah, so you take kind of that one thing that wasn't good and thought, hmm. think, how could I just do that a little bit better? And that would make uh, a great impact. Yeah. And, and then you move on and you practice on that one thing rather than all the things that didn't work out as well as you thought. You know, it's <clears throat> so much more effective to improve what you're already pretty good at than to try to correct your mistakes yeah. or, yeah. <laughs> and so with that, we're going to round up this episode. Christine, what are you going to take away from today's discussion? Oh, well, I think it's uh, it's been a good talk. I think, you know, we have, uh, it's fascinating to see that uh, although very different careers and, and, and all quite a lot of uh, similarities. It's interesting, yeah. Tuta? You know, I, I just love listening to Christine. I mean, she's a very uh, successful, uh, great uh, leader, uh, female leader in Norway. And I just love kind of picking people's brain and kind of listening. And uh, you do find a lot of similarities and maybe you pick up a few small things that she's uh, told us today about how she's thinking uh, to kind of uh, get around her team's. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I sorry to interrupt you but before we started this I asked her whether that famous put could have you know might as well have gone outside and she just <laughs> said so clearly no and I have a feeling that sometimes my some you know one of some of my pivotal moments are a bit of luck and and you were so clear on that Tita that no that was uh I knew it I, I you know I couldn't wait to celebrate you said I think that's fascinating yeah you had to hold back but, the but celebration. I have to say the harder you practice the luckier you get I guess I guess there is a connection <laughs> true Siri what do you uh what do you bring with you from today's talk well I I think uh what Christine said she said and that comes back to just this um, uh, dialogue here that you need to trust yourself so that's what I, I trust yourself, um, have a purpose. Still, there's still a lot to learn. Never forget that. And then it's all in the uh, preparation. And with that, thank you so much to today's guests, Kristin and Tuta, and to you, Siri. 
And to you, my lamb. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This has been Game Changing Leadership, a podcast brought to you by Oslo Business Forum. We hope you enjoyed it. Share the podcast if you found it valuable. And be sure to listen to our next episode if you want to discover more about game changers and what we can learn from them.